Leonard Cohen suggested, there is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. This viral crack gives us a chance to create something new and better. So let's talk about back to different and let the light in. I'm back and I am here with Rick Gonzalez, whom I will confess is a neighbor, although he's in Florida right now, uh, on his farm in Florida, putting in fruit trees, I understand, in, in stifling heat. He and I ran into each other since COVID started walking our dogs. Although when we first met, I didn't have, we didn't have our dog yet, but he has this wonderful character of a dog named Rosie, who has always fascinated me. So we just started talking as people are doing, especially now. And one thing led to another and we became friends, even though I called him Ray for like a month and a half for some reason. So uh, here he is. I am looking at his picture of what looks like a really cool study or office down there in Florida. So. I'm going to ask you, Rick, if you kind of tell your story, how you got here. Oh, I took a bus. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, actually, it's it's great to talk with you, Mac. I hadn't seen you in about three months, so it's really nice to, to be able to chat again. Uh, I, I guess if I had to describe myself, I, I've, I come from a long family of teachers. Mm -hmm. My mom, my uncles, um, I have, uh, and my, one of my daughters is a teacher. So, my wife is a teacher, um, and I also happen to be a physician who's been in academic medicine, and, and I was a lung specialist, still am. Um, and um, so basically, um, now I'm retired, and I uh, try to keep busy doing a lot of the things that I didn't have time to do before. Um, and I'm like everybody else, uh, and from our conversations we've all been affected by this whole pandemic. And um, my philosophy is, is that it has changes and it has, uh, it will cause some of us to just sort of shrivel up and give up. Um, but most of us will have to acknowledge the fact that it will change the way we do things and how we live. Um, some for the not so good, but I think mostly for possibly some good things to come out of it. So that's pretty much in a nutshell. Well, you're, you're a retired doctor. Yeah. And a doctor nevertheless. Yes, I still, I, I, I'm not practicing and I did retire from academic medicine, but I still keep up with things. I, I do continuing medical education. I keep my license. Uh, I would be volunteering if I had the opportunity uh, to do so, and um, and I'm still active. I, I just uh, uh, do a lot of reading and maintain some ideas on research, particularly because of the interest with this, this uh, type of uh, respiratory infection, which is primarily transmitted by by respiration and breathing uh, from person to person. Um, I was involved many years ago, and and being one of the leaders in a task force uh, for tuberculosis in the state of Florida. And back then when HIV came up and tuberculosis and HIV became really uh, problematic, Florida was the number three state uh, with tuberculosis. So uh, I get very interested in the whole dynamics and potential spread of tuberculosis, which by the way, is not spread by touching anything. 
it's spread by breathing infected air particles from somebody who's who's ill. So, um, and that that's really been my life trajectory. And uh, so it's been very fascinating to me to see just how complicated this virus has been and how little we know. And every week we are rewriting the book. That um, last point, I think, is something that that lots of people don't or not or aren't aren't willing to to comprehend is that we still don't know a whole lot about this virus. No, and and most of what we are learning has by default been observational. We we describe what we have seen in terms of as as the experience unfolds. For many months, we didn't even know what pathologic changes this would cause in tissues because people were afraid to do autopsies. Um, they were afraid that they might get contaminated. So it took quite a few months for them to actually be able to say, what does this virus do in the lungs? What does it do in the brain? What does it do in the heart? And we're learning more and more. So, I've never been a doctor. Um, I've never played one on TV. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've played lots of things in theater, but never a, a doctor. Um, and it seems to me just from a layman's perspective is that we don't have enough time to date to to get what the long-term connection no, with our health don't. is going to be, right? We do not. And, uh, you know, there are, we are, we collectively by observation are seeing people now who have had an acute illness with this uh, uh, COVID virus and seem to have improved a little bit, but they have lagging after effects for weeks and months. And those people in, in certain places are being studied sequentially to see what turns out, but we don't really know. No. And I would, um, I'm not going to go into politics or that side of this um, for a whole bunch of reasons, although that's an important conversation to have. Um, I, I started in what I do now as a trainer in HIV and AIDS education. Right. You had told me that, yes. During, during the Clinton administration. And part of, of what made that work so exciting for me was studying the disease, studying the, the progression and the, again, lots of things we didn't know for a long time about HIV and AIDS. And I was always astonished when I would get a room full of people and I would give them the stuff which I got from CDC, because um, I didn't know anything, and how many of them had false information. Yeah, and, and I think it's, it's difficult. And, and back to what you were saying, obviously we don't necessarily want to get into the politics of things, but uh, if you look at health and illness and disease, um, I always remember a quote by somebody uh, who I, regarded very much as, as a mentor. And he, when we talked about diseases and health disparities, he would always talk about the medical consequences of the lack of social policy. So whatever our social policy is or isn't has medical impact 
on our health. And, um, you know, it cuts both ways. So w whether we like it or not, we have to live in this world that has social consequences. And when, when there are stressors like a pandemic, that definitely uh, alters the way it behaves and how it impacts us. And, you know, it gets back to education. We, we had started to talk about it at one point, and, and maybe the reason we're, we're chatting now is really, you know, how do you get back to things like, do you, are you able to start schools? <laughs> uh, you know, um, so, and, and that's a, it's a, it's a topic that's fertile for not only addressing uh, the problems, but I think we may actually come up with some really inventive answers and, and approaches that would will, will, will not just um, change the way we view this particular disease, but a lot of other infections that are, that are transmitted by respiratory symptoms. And in, in the uh, broader sense, for me, um, the, the health piece, I mean, my, my health education, in high school was pretty rudimentary. <laughs> um, I had to take a health course to be recertified as a teacher in in the mid seventies, and I, that was a good course. The woman who taught it was was really good, um, and she knew her stuff, and she made it exciting, and, and she made it engaging, and and I learned a lot. I was also uh, the only male in the class. There were fourteen of us. And the other 13 were all nuns. Interesting. Wow. So, so when we got to the sex ed part of the class, it was. I bet that was. It was <laughs> we had, no, we had, we had a great time. The, the, you know, everybody, we were all in the same life put together and it was, it was fascinating. So sure. the upheaval of this, um, taking away nothing from the devastation and the pain and the death and unemployment and all those things, which, which I do not want to even try to try to minimize. You and I are on the fortunate side of that. Absolutely. I, I have a place to live. I still have some income. As far as I know, I'm in good health. I don't have all those underlying conditions that might be, although my, my wife does. So that aside, I'm seeing from from my vantage point, from the hillock on which I stand, it's not a mountain, but I'm not way down in the in the swamp part of this. I'm seeing some pretty um, exciting changes in things like leadership, how we communicate with each other, our sense of community and compassion, our exploration, even walking down the street with people about stuff that we didn't used to touch on before right yeah so, i think you're right i i think that there has been a definite change and of course like you say we, we've been fortunate enough that our life circumstances don't put added stressors um, um as say somebody who is uh doesn't have uh, an education has a job 
where they have to actually physically be there every day for a number of hours, uh, where they may not have uh, the luxury of having uh, health insurance or uh, have to pay rent, which is due every month, or have to pay a mortgage, um, and have children. And they have children that they're afraid for their health, and they also have to provide an education for. And uh, so... It, these these are these are times that are going to cause us to think uh, in ways that we had not thought about. And I I'm, I'm distressed when I hear that um, online education isn't working, that it's terrible, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's it's unfortunate that people criticize online education because it's only as good. It's like saying. Um, a cello makes terrible music. If you don't use it properly and you don't play it correctly, uh, you're just going to get noise. So it's been surprising to me ever since I got back to Florida. I know a few people that are teachers in the elementary schools. And I've asked them and I've asked people who are college professors, my daughter included, um, you know, what have you had to do? Well, they told us we had to do everything online. And I said, so have they given you resources or specialists who know how to set up the equipment, who can tell you that you can't really talk for more than 20 minutes before you lose people, um, that you don't necessarily want a talking head um, reading from a lecture. Um, and these are teachers in the elementary schools. And they say, no, they just tell us to get a video camera and talk into the camera that's not going to be efficacious oh okay and so it's very easy to say it doesn't work uh, the other end of it is who's at the other end of the camera now kids can be really engaged and play video games for eight hours in front of a computer screen why is that because they're engaged because what they're seeing at the other end is attracting them so there are enough pedagogic uh, methods to make that work. And it's very easy to say, yeah, online education doesn't work. It's not a good thing. Uh, it shouldn't be the only way. Obviously, there are facts. And I am all for kids being able to go back to school. There's no question that if you look at kids who are withdrawn from school, there's going to be some academic regression. Yep. Okay. That's one thing. And, and, and that's very critical. But there's also the issue of that access to critical things like lunches for some kids who have limited means and don't get much of a meal otherwise. Um, like a lot of the picking up of child neglect and child abuse, oftentimes, the people that pick it up are the teachers or the people that work in the school bus and they see the new bruise on the child. Right. So there are a lot of compelling reasons to try to get our kids back in school. But how to do that makes it, it's what the challenge. From my perspective, it, it's, it's what's called a wicked problem. There isn't a one-shot solution. All we have to do 
is shove all the kids back in the classroom and, and, and start again. I think part of it, because I, I write about education and it's, it's a real passion for me, is that lots of the way our schools have been working or not for too long has not been particularly effective. Talking, talking at people from a lectern, for instance, and I'm painting with a very broad, broad brush, but some of my clients for whom I've worked for years have asked me to do my sessions online, which is fine. I see it as an adventure. I, I don't, I don't, I don't frame this as, oh my God, I hate online. No, 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 no. It's just a platform. Yeah. And how do you make it challenging? How do you make it challenging? How do you make it engaging? How do you make it exciting? How do you make it, how do you make it open and try, you know, all the same things that, that good teaching has always been. It can be here too. And I think that too many of us don't see this opportunistically, but see it as Number one, it'll pass. Well, I don't think it, it's ever going to pass like for good. No, it won't. No. And, 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 and number two, uh, as the world develops, we now know, for example, that the majority of people in the remotest, poorest areas of Africa all have cell phones. Okay. Yeah. Health can be delivered to those people in very remote areas via a cell phone, okay? So yep. clearly, a lot of this information will eventually be disseminated to people who may not otherwise have access because of geography or you know, political unrest or whatever. So whatever we are able to do remotely in a teaching classroom, we can apply to many things, global health. Absolutely. I'm um, I am I'm more connected around the world than I've ever been in my life, and I'm partnering with with four people from all over the world, and I'm not bragging. It's just that they're there. Yeah. <laughs> and you there. have access to them. You don't have to fly. I don't uh, ten thousand miles and stay in a hotel in a strange city uh, if you want to just discuss an issue like we're discussing right now. Yeah, and. There, there are there are so many re rethinkings that we can do about our corporations and our business and our government and our relationships that this platform. I mean, can you imagine how hard this would be if we didn't have this? It would be brutal. It would be impossible. It would be, and, it would be impossible. And to truth be told. I think that the spin-offs of this is are really fascinating. One thing that, you know, for a very long time in medicine, I have been advocating telemedicine as a way of reaching remote places and making uh, health delivery more efficient. Yet many governmental uh, agencies and insurance companies did not want to approve this on the par with, you know, face-to-face Right. Uh, contact. One thing that this pandemic has done, at least in this country, it has shown people not just the patients, you know, the, the right. end customers, but physicians and 
uh, administrators that you can deliver a substantial amount of healthcare very efficiently through telemedicine means. And so it's a proof of concept, at least from that perspective. So that's, that's one thing. Um, the other thing is, is that there are many colleges that have, you know, University of Central Florida, University of Arizona and Phoenix, for many years, they have been really pushing online curricula. There are people who get college degrees who otherwise would not be able to go to college if they had to physically go. They work at night. Proof of concept. And some of those people have greatly benefited. So I think we, you know, we just have to use that as an extra tool. It's not the be all and end all. And I think one of the problems is, as you say, oh, do I have to do, you know, my talking head recording of my class? It's not going to help. No. I mean, no. I'm back in school, as you know. Um, I'm taking nine credits this fall. And I'm also doing uh, field work as an intern. And it's all going to be virtual. Yes. And as you can see, if you're looking at my face, I'm excited about yeah. that. You know, going, oh, that's such a waste of everything. But what, it's just like everything. When you impose this on teachers and you don't give them resources and right. you say, here, do it on a video camera and get it to us, get the whole semester to us by Friday. You know, uh, this, this is what one of the recent K through 12 teachers told me. Yeah. She was mortified and she was just going through the motions just to get it in. Uh, now, is that going to be efficacious? I don't think so. Why not, in this opportunity, give teachers with um, IT people to help, right? Because there are things which, if you're not of the sort of IT... Um, you can't do it. You're just, you're, you're, you're flummoxed. Why not have teachers get together via this platform with somebody with that kind of, okay, and say, here's what we want to do. Here's what we think our kids need. Tell us how, and let's work together as a team to use this. And let, let me show you a concept uh, prototype lesson. Yep. Let's make it a 20 minute. Let's teach how to add, okay? <laughs> and then go through the motions. And this is how you introduce it. These are the three bullet points you make, and this is how you follow up. Um, I, I think there is an opportunity and it's being, uh, the, the technology is there and the fact that when more and more people use it, it becomes cheaper. More, more efficacious as we go, oh, we can do this, which we couldn't do before. Yeah. And then we can do that, which we couldn't do before. Exactly. So I have a couple of questions to ask you. Um, the first is, as you walk through this part of your life, as you, as you live and breathe, what do you see either from a medical perspective, which we, we've kind of touched on, and or from a human interaction perfect, perception um, that, that give you positive pause? Uh, for instance, as I've said before, I know my neighbors better than I've ever known them before. I knew their cars. Now I know who they are because we walk and we talk. And we just didn't do it before because we didn't get the chance. Yeah. And 
the second question, and I'm going to ask that you do them in order. This is my old teacher voice. Okay. Uh, um, you have two, two daughters. And at some point down the line, when you're no longer um, here to bother them, as it were, <laughs> but they're talking to their kids about 2020, what would you like them to say about how their dad handled this? Oh, that's very interesting. Okay, well, let's take the first one. And I know we've talked about this uh, lightly before in our sidewalk uh, encounters, but I, I really think that in the forced isolation we've had to, to go through, um, some of us have realized that being outdoors um, is, a, is a great distractor um and it's actually uh, an incredible opening of our eyes to something that has been there all along and people have you know the more civilized we have gotten we've actually regressed because we have forgotten what a tree that's blooming smells like or what the smell of rain is after a big rainfall um, and so I think people are paying attention. My one of my daughters just got back. They rented an RV I love and, it. and packed their dog and drove to Bar Harbor, Maine, uh, and parked at a national park. And with their two-year-old, our grandson, had an absolutely wonderful, wonderful time, uh, an appreciation. And she said that the the national park was just jammed with people so i think this is a good thing even before i left maryland i you know there were things that i'm sure you noticed as well um and and this just really hit me with it kind of warmed me up uh, i see five bicycles and i see papa duck and mama duck and then there are three little bikes uh of the kids behind them going for a ride yeah. People sitting out and having a picnic together, talking. So, uh, you know, I think this, the necessities of the isolation have actually given people an opportunity to, I hate to be trite, but to smell the roses again. And, uh, and I think what that, that will have a lot of uh, collateral, not collateral damage, but collateral benefit in the sense that people are going to say, hey, wait a minute. It's really smoky and there's a lot of smog. Why don't we try to clean that up? This, this is really important. And I think people will actually focus on when they look at a stream and they see a bunch of garbage floating by. Why are we doing this? How can we make it better? My two-year-old grandson, you know, Poppy, look at the little fish. He was thrilled, okay? And I was glad, and this is the follow-up to your second question, I was glad that I was there to show him the little fish and that weekly we would go by and we saw the little fish getting bigger, okay? And so I think I would hope that my daughters would say, you know, our dad taught us to appreciate what we have and to share it with others and to appreciate where we live. And 
um, I have been, as I've gotten older, I you know I was so busy with my nose to the to the plow uh, when I was going through medical school and while I was a physician that I never really paid a lot of attention to the things that, like when I was in college, our generation, you know, people would go and they would go on protests and they would march down to Washington and come back after, you know, three days worth and start school again. And sometimes I watch some of these programs and say, where was I when all this stuff was happening? Okay. And so I have become more of an activist as I've gotten older because now I say, my God, we can't let this go on. We have to look positively towards the future. And so I have a lot of hope and, and, and I would like to be able to impart that to my family. And I know my family imparts it to the people that they are together with. Um, so, you know, my daughter, uh, as a two-year-old, she met a lady through a mom's group that lives in Baltimore, and they both drive halfway, and they meet together with the kids, and they go raspberry picking, and they go to this farm and to that farm, or they just go around and skipping in puddles. That would have not happened, uh, and that kind of confraternity uh, had it not been for a lot of this feeling shut in. I would absolutely agree. And, and as you were speaking, uh, the the film of my childhood was running. You no, know, I we spent a lot of time in the woods when I was a kid. We like found tadpoles and we, and we picked up rocks to find the crayfish. And I would spend a whole a whole morning with a couple of my friends in the woods climbing trees and and you know looking at the birds and stuff and maybe that's not such a bad way to spend our time and maybe now we have an opportunity to to recreate that and i want to thank you my friend for your time it's really good to see you again well it's great to see you we have to do this again we will do this again and do you know how much you sound like gene kelly Oh, really? <laughs> really? Well, you know, if I started speaking with my Spanish accent, it might not sound the same. <laughs> <laughs> it was great uh, seeing you, uh, even through Zoom, and oh, talking sure. with you, Mac. And please say hi to Hope and take good care of your new family member. And I took Rosie to the vet for her yearly visit, and she was fine. Uh, <laughs> so, well. I will be heading back up to Maryland probably in late fall or early winter. You're the only person I know who goes to Florida in the summer. It's a reverse snowbird phenomenon. <laughs> <laughs> we, well, again, this has just been out of necessity, not, not yep. so much out of uh, choice. So, But please let's stay in touch. And yes, I, indeed. Uh, I really enjoyed talking with you. I love you, Rick. And take All right. care of yourself, right? Take care. All right, Bye -bye. man. Adios. Yeah. Thanks for giving us a listen. As we move forward with this situation, with this thing that's us, let's never forget that we are all in this together. No matter what else happens, we're all in this together. Thank you.